The following podcast is brought to you by Sierra Madre Gold and Silver. Enjoy. This is the Commodity Culture Podcast, where we interview prominent investors, fund managers, analysts, and company CEOs to give you an edge when it comes to investing in the commodity space. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Commodity Culture, where our goal is to make you a better investor in the commodities space. My name is Jesse Day, and as always, standard disclaimer, nothing here is investment advice. Do your own due diligence. And today's guest is the CEO of Sierra Madre Gold and Silver, a precious metals development company focused on restarting the La Guitarra gold and silver mine in Mexico. It's Alex Langer. Great to have you on the show. Hi, Jesse. Wonderful to be here. Thanks for the invite. Yes, excited to have you on. And before we dive into Sierra Madre, I would like to start by discussing the gold and silver sector from a macro perspective, starting with gold. I'm wondering at this point in time, what are the main catalysts and drivers you see for the gold sector? You can take this in any direction you'd like. Yeah, I know that's that's a, a big question uh, for sure. I think for gold, the main price drivers right now are definitely the U.S. interest rates, um, also the strength of the U.S. economy, the U.S. dollar, uh, bond yields. Those are really the three main factors as it stands right now. Um, but that really all hinges on the strength of the U.S. economy and global trade. Uh, should we see you know data surprises you know one way or other that usually moves the price of gold? Uh, so if it goes down, uh, that should be quite positive. Also, there are some seasonal. So seasonality issues with gold. Uh, we usually see it kind of drop early, you know, towards the late quarter one, uh, also into quarter two, um, and then it always picks up towards uh, the end of the year. So I think we're seeing a little bit of that right now. Uh, also, uh, today's pricing gold is, is doing really, really well. If we talked about, you know, gold being over $2,000, and it's been here for the last few months. So, uh, you know, long term, I'm, I'm quite bullish. And uh, I think uh, these prices, things are, are looking quite positive uh, for gold as it stands right now. Yeah, I think a lot of gold bugs out there sometimes expect too much. And when we look at the fact that 2000 is kind of more of a base where it used to be a resistance for the gold price, that is hugely positive, especially in the face of real positive interest rates. Now, I would like to shift to gold miners specifically as well here. Um, Obviously, an area you find yourself in, and we're seeing very low valuations in comparison with the metal itself, particularly when we look at the juniors. Um, why do you think that is, and what do you think it will take to bridge that gap in valuations? Yeah, that's that's a good point. Like if you look at the Dow or you know the S and P, they're doing really well. People have made quite a bit of, of money. Uh, it's not just gold miners; it's a lot of the miners that have really struggled. Uh, it's honestly been abysmal, uh, to be honest, for the last little while here. A couple of reasons. Um, one is obviously cost overruns on a capex so we've seen some capex numbers that have been blown out that really doesn't help uh the you know the miners as a whole uh expiration risk uh so this is high risk kind of high reward uh, type of investment and you know interest rates are extraordinarily high right now. So you're seeing a lot of capital uh, sitting on the sidelines, you know, getting six, seven, eight, nine percent in terms of interest rates and not really using that risk capital for the time being, just because you know the returns are so good on the uh, interest side. Uh, I think once interest rates start to come down, uh, which they will, uh, we're expecting, I think, three drops this year, we're going to start to see some of that capital migrate uh, from, you know, high yield accounts back into high, uh, higher risk uh, type investments, such as gold miners 
partners and, and things like that. Um, other things that could bridge the gap, obviously, is going to be, uh, you know, the increase in price of gold, uh, lower U.S. dollar value, uh, lowering bond yields, as I mentioned, in terms of interest rates, and also a bit of M&A activity. I think once M&A starts to pick up again in the sector uh, with strong valuations, uh, this could be another strong, strong driver. I know there's a number of majors out there that are looking. Um, you'll see a lot of the inventories are getting lower and some of the larger producers. Uh, so once those inventories start to dry up and they start to acquire some of these mid-tier or even expiration assets, um, I think that would be a, a really good boon for the sector as well. And let's shift over to silver for a moment now, because yeah, this is a metal that seems to be either hated or loved at present. Overall investor sentiment is quite low. Um, you've got, obviously you had the silver squeeze movement, which I think got a lot of people involved who were very emotional about it and figured that the price of silver was going to go to the moon. It was going to be a repeat of the Hunt Brothers episode. We were headed to $50. And now I think a lot of those people are disappointed and, and thinking of throwing in the towel. And overall, investors are, are tired of being told to be patient because that's always the message when it comes to silver. Because, you know, 2020, uh, 2010 into 2011 was really the last time that silver moved up in a significant way. So I'm wondering, given that uh, setting the stage, what are your thoughts on the silver sector as, as we sit here today? Yeah, I know that's, that's a very fair comment. You know, we saw the little run up because of the silver squeeze, which is good. I think it just goes to show that when silver does have a run, it, it really propels. It's quite exciting. Um, I'm a little bit more bullish, I would say, on silver for sure. I think just the fundamentals are quite positive. Uh, the Silver Institute is forecasting 1.2 billion ounce silver demand for 2024. That's the second largest uh, demand for silver um, in the history of the world, which is great. That's largest now being driven by you know strong industrial demand um, that's being led again on the industrial side by solar panels which makes up about 20% of that use and also the EV thematic so as more EVs are produced um, there's quite a bit of silver within uh, electric vehicles there's also silver now being used in aeronautics and, and space exploration so silver is not only just store of value it's also used industrial and that's really what I like about silver it's kind of a 50-50 mix as it stands right now sort value, jewelry, things like that, which is great, uh, but also the industrial use, which is continuing to rise. So for 2024, we're going to have about a 15% deficiency in silver, um, which is a pretty big number. So, you know, when I started this company, uh, Sierra Madre, there really wasn't much of a messable silver story. Um, so that's one of the reasons why I did it. I wanted something that could grow through early stage uh, exploration development and also grow through production um, and increase ounces and build something up. Uh, while I was at Canada, Accord. I was fortunate enough to do the IPOs or be part of the IPOs for Endeavor Silver and Fortuna Silver, the same type of thing. Silver wasn't, you know, hugely loved at the time. Uh, I think it was trading around $4 an ounce up to $8 an ounce. But I saw both these companies that IPO'd at 10 cents make their way up to NASDAQ with highs of, you know, 12 US dollars. So when silver really goes, it is pretty amazing. Um, and that's kind of one of the reasons why I started this company and why I believe in it. Yeah, well, let's talk about the silver mining sector in particular. Uh, you mentioned you IPO'd some, some pretty notable silver miner names. How do you view the overall health of the sector right now? Because we were talking about gold miners earlier. Obviously, silver mining is another sector where valuations are considered very low, particularly when we look at all the fundamental aspects you discussed. Um, do you think this is a time maybe where the silver miners look very attractive from a valuation standpoint? 
I completely agree. Um, you know, it could be seen right now as a leverage play on silver. Um, it's you know inexpensive to get in. Uh, opportunities like this usually don't happen all that often um, outside of the broader uh, market, uh, such as yields and things like that. But, you know, upside potential from operations um, and just the increase in silver price is, is pretty, pretty interesting. Um, the low sentiment towards the metal, um, you know, has also led to a shortage of small to mid-sized production stories, uh, which is, again, one of the reasons why I started Sierra Madre Gold and Silver. At the time, there really wasn't much of an investable silver story. Again, something similar to, a, you know, First Majestic or, a, you know, an Endeavor Silver or Fortuna Silver, same type of thing. So I, I, there was an opportunity and I didn't see one out there that I was comfortable investing in at the time. So I built it. And that's kind of the possibility and the optionality we do have at Sierra Madre. Yeah. And keeping with the sentiment side of things there, you know, I spoke to Rick Rule not too long ago and he has called silver roundly hated. He said it's making him very greedy. He's the last time silver was this hated in his career. He made a ton of money. Um, So I'm wondering if you think silver presents a contrarian opportunity right now for those willing to go against the pack and obviously you have to be able to stomach volatility to to play in the silver mining space particularly with the juniors would would you say that's fair I, I completely agree with that. Yeah. Silver investment is definitely a contrarian view right now. Um, so there is that huge, huge upside. And again, the opportunity given the strong fundamentals, the increase in, you know, usage and solar panels and EVs, uh, also the underperformance compared to gold, I think is something to be uh, mindful of. There's usually, you know, the gold silver ratio and there's been a disconnect. Uh, I don't think it's been this high in a, a long time, kind of 82 to one. And, you know, it's been, you know, on record, it's closer to 60 to 70 to one. So there is that gap as well that could catch up relatively quickly as well. Um, so as interest rates come down, uh, hopefully that gap between the gold silver ratio comes down as well. Well, let's shift specifically to Sierra Madre gold and silver. And for those unfamiliar with the company, uh, maybe you could start by giving us an overview. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Sierra Madre Gold and Silver is a development company focused on the restart of the fully permitted Lagatara Silver and Gold Mine. Uh, It's located about two hours outside of Mexico City, uh, so an excellent, excellent location. Uh, We acquired the project fully uh, about 10 months ago, and we've been aggressively pushing towards production uh, ever since. And you've got a checklist which includes infrastructure, jurisdiction, permitted and past production. These are the the four key points and also know-how in Mexico. So there's five. Um, Could you walk us through each of those and let us know what gives you the confidence to check them off? Yeah, absolutely. Whenever I take a look at a company or a project, even as an investor, it's really important to kind of work your way through and de-risk a project. And, you know, a lot of these things are high risk. So you want to minimize, you know, your exposure in terms of investing. So if you can have a checklist, uh, whether it's a, you know, company or project, it's always important to do these things. So, uh, for instance, with Sierra Madre, obviously infrastructure, uh, we're tied into the grid. We're two hours from Mexico City. There's ample water. Uh, there's a workforce, you know, six, seven kilometers away. Way. It is a past producing mine. It shut down in 2018. So you have a real benefit there of infrastructure. So you kind of check that off. In terms of jurisdiction, um, you know, Mexico, uh, Mexico is the largest producer of silver in the world. So if you want to, you know, be a silver miner, it's kind of where you where you want to be. Uh, there has been some issues in Mexico over the last little while in terms of governmental change and getting new permits and things like that it could be quite difficult. So uh, we consciously went after a project a number of years ago that would be fully permitted. So we are grandfathered in. And so in terms of permitting risk, uh, we are past that. Again, 
again, we're fully permitted. Uh, you know, if we decided to, we could start production uh, tomorrow, uh, which is great. There's no limit on throughput. Uh, First Majestic did an incredible job in terms of the permitting and community relations with um, Lagatara. Uh, they have, you know, full team working through water treatment and engaging with the community and keeping the permits up to date, which is great. So again, another one of those checkpoints, uh, permitting, which could be huge, uh, is being checked off the list. Uh, past production. So that really minimizes your future risk. We know our metallurgy inside and out. We know our capital costs inside and out. We know how much it costs to treat an ounce of silver. We know our labor costs. We've actually recently signed an agreement um, with the local union uh, when they were last operating in 2018. It's a 10% raise and it's just straight across the board. Uh, reagent prices have gone up a little bit, uh, but energy costs are actually down. Uh, energy is subsidized in Mexico. So we know our, our inputs inside and out. So usually company at this stage would probably do a you know, pre-feasibility, then a feasibility, then a definitive feasibility, then a you know, bankable definitive feasibility. And that takes many, many years and, and costs millions and millions of dollars. So we get to really bypass that, uh, which is a huge benefit for us. Uh, so past produce, production really, really minimizes the risk uh, moving forward. And finally, know-how in Mexico. Um, you know, fortunately enough, you know, I, I got pretty comfortable in Mexico during my time at Canaccord, but everything we're doing is, is really led by my technical team. And it's a gentleman named Greg Liller. Uh, Greg is an exploration geologist uh, by training, but he's ran and operated numerous mines. He's actually had seven projects uh, that he's been a part of uh, that have actually become mines, which is truly unheard of. You do it once or twice, do you be lucky, but seven times is amazing. Now, one of those seven mines uh, just happened to be the Lagatara Mine Complex. So he knows the project inside and out. Uh, we've been fortunate enough to bring on, I guess, our chief geologist, uh, director of exploration development, Louis Science, who actually spent about seven years at Lagatara. Um, so he's kind of moved on full time. Uh, he lives in the area. Uh, we have about another half dozen people that were with Greg and Luis during that time. So we have an intimate knowledge of the mine. Uh, Greg did about 100,000 meters of drilling at the mine. Uh, they ran the production, they modernized the facility. So we're very, very comfortable uh, with Mexico and in particular the Lagatara mine. So again, another checkpoint that we uh, kind of checked off there. Yeah, absolutely. Let's dive a little deeper into Lagatara. What have you accomplished there so far? What are your future plans for the project? Do you have a timeline for production? And is this project set to produce more silver or gold? What's the ratio there? Yeah. So I'll answer the ratio question first. Um, it's about 60-40 at today's value. So when we talk about the mine, I do talk about it as a, a silver mine, uh, silver dominant. Uh, the silver and gold will come out in the same concentrate, um, which is relatively straightforward. But in terms of the value of the metal per one ton of ore uh, that we could possibly be getting, it's about 60% silver, 40% gold. So you get a both, uh, which is good. Um, again, kind of de-risks from the market. Say so gold doesn't run and silver stays, well, that number will change and, and vice versa. Silver does run. Uh, then uh, you know, more value would come from uh, the silver side of things. So as I mentioned, we did acquire the project uh, fully in May of 2023, so just over a year ago. Having said that, we have been at site for well over a year uh, while we were doing the due diligence and working with First Majestic to acquire the mine. Uh, we've been at site for quite a while. Uh, first thing we did was re-audit the underground and work through the uh, historic databases of drilling. There's been over 236,000 meters of drilling at Lagatara, which is an incredible incredible amount. So what we had to do is, is get all those assay sheets, recheck it all, audit the underground, figure out what areas had to be mined, what it had hadn't, 
overlay all the drill hole database uh, drill holes into that information, come up with new shells, new pit designs. It came out with an updated NI43-101. So that was really a massive catalyst for the company. Uh, we increased measured and indicated by 367%. Um, so now uh, a total, I guess, global resource of close to 50 million ounces of silver uh, that's in all categories uh, is huge. So in essence, it pretty much tripled what was there before. And that was uh, without doing uh, any further drilling, but really going through all the databases and spending quite a bit of money and time to do that. So that was a huge first catalyst uh, that we did. Uh, and that's come out. Uh, since then, we've been busy. We are pushing towards production quite quickly. Uh, the next major catalyst is going to be our, our mine plan. So we're working on a mine plan right now um, that should be completed end of quarter one, uh, maybe into early quarter two. So a few months away. Uh, that's really important. It's going to tell us we're going to be mining from, uh, you know, from week to week, month to month. Uh, it's one thing that once you start production, you never want to fall behind on production because the market absolutely kills you. So we're going to walk before we run. Um, we're going to start at probably three, 350 tons per day, move that up to 500, which is a uh, commercial production level. And because the resource now is so large, you know, if you're taking 500 tons per day, uh, close to 50 million ounces, uh, that's, that's many, many, many years of possible production. So we are going to be looking at doubling capacity within a couple of years once we hit commercial production. In terms of timelines, um, we have guided to the market that if capital is available to us and things go well, we will be in commercial production uh, in quarter one of 2025, so less than a year away. Uh, things are going really well at site. We're starting to uh, repair equipment. So we'll have some news on that. Uh, we repaired quite a bit of the underground. We're you know starting to pull material. Things are moving along very, very, very well. So uh, I think if all goes well, uh, I could see an opportunity where we might even be in production earlier than what we've got into the market. Uh, you know, as long as no hiccups come and as long as cash is available. I know we chatted a little bit earlier that cash could be a little bit difficult to uh, get right now. Uh, so we are looking at alternative streams rather than just equity. Uh, our equity pricing is down. Our last raise was about 10 million, was $10 million plus at 65 cents without a warrant. We're currently trading kind of 30 to 35 right now. So issuing equity at these prices uh, is pretty highly dilutive. So we're looking at other things. Uh, maybe it's a royalty, maybe offtake, maybe debt or a combination of the above. Um, everything you do is dilutive in terms of that. But I think at this point, um, you know, non-equity raises the way we're, we're leading for the time being to complete with the CapEx um, of the mine. Now our expected CapEx to get back into production is about 6 million US dollars. Um, so not a huge amount. Again, we're really, really fortunate that we have uh, so much infrastructure there. There's about 40 kilometers of underground uh, available to us. Uh, the mill itself is in amazing shape, uh, as well as the drill hole database, uh, mining equipment. So we have a starting with a lot of value here. So be able to get in production for you know six million US approximately is a pretty pretty exciting opportunity. Great overview. And I wanted to dive a little bit more into your background as well, because you've touched on it a little bit earlier. But let us know your own background in, in the metals and mining industry and how this whole project together, what it is that, that attracted you ab about this project and made you get involved with the company. Yeah, it's a good question. So uh, I guess myself, uh, I come from a capital markets background. Uh, as I mentioned, as a Canaccord, I left there in 2009. And since then, I've focused on, um, you know, founding companies, uh, helping companies on the capital needs, uh, putting together management teams, finding projects and, and really kind of pushing them forward. So, uh, yeah, a couple of times I've been involved with. Um, one recently was Millennial Lithium. I was vice president there kind of from the beginning to the end. Uh, we started with Lithium Brian Project in Argentina. 
and actually sold that for $490 million to Lithium Americas exactly two years ago. Uh, I was also uh, part of a company called Prime Mining, a uh, very similar technical team that we have at Sierra Madre. Again, we started that around 30 cents and now it's trading, you know, 200, 300 million market cap. Uh, so we'd be quite fortunate to have a, a number of successes here. I'm also the president and founder of a company called Lift uh, Power, uh, which has a really large scale uh, lithium spot dreaming project in the Northwest Territories. Again, we started that at a couple bucks and hit the highest 16 last year, and now at 200, 250 million market cap. So uh, quite fortunate that I work with some really good people and been fortunate enough to have uh, some good projects. In terms of Sierra Madre, um, again, I was really looking for an investable silver story out there, something that could grow through, you know, whether it was acquisition or ounces in the ground and de-risking through production. And that story, that thematic really appeals to me. So I've been, uh, so yeah, been building it all the way through. So when the opportunity to acquire Lagatara came to us, something that was fully permitted, uh, that our technical team had, you know, history with, it really seemed like a no brainer. Uh, beyond the development and the, you know, production profile that we will have, uh, it is a really large exploration area. Uh, we're really excited about the potential to continue to explore the area. We've now found about 53 kilometers of potential strike length material at surface, whether it's veining or breccia within our concession. So we do want to use cash flows to go explore the area. Um, you know, we're fortunate enough that First Majestic kind of believes in our, our vision and agreed to kind of let us run with the project. Uh, they are by far our largest shareholder. Uh, they do own 47.7% of Sierra Madre Gold and Silver. Uh, they took all uh, shares in the transaction. Uh, they really do like this mine. And um, yeah, they've been They've been excellent with us. So uh, in terms of the mine itself, these opportunities don't come along very, very often. Uh, Kind of have to be lucky and aggressive at the same time. And I think we hit both the nails on the head there. Insider ownership in the company is also quite high, 21%. Um, always great to see skin in the game from management. Investors love to see that. How important is that to the company? And will management be looking to buy more shares in the future? It's it's so important. Like uh, in terms of the checklist you had mentioned earlier, I'll put on my investor hat to see management have that much skin in the game is pretty astounding. You want to be aligned. Uh, I feel um, with the management. You know, if they have a, a track record of success, like Greg's had multiple M and A transactions. I've had you know a couple. Um, so you know, we understand the value of equity and investing our own equity. Twenty one percent is actually a little bit low. I, I think it's quite a bit higher, probably approaching 24, 25% in terms of management and founders. Um, yeah, if you look at the insider reports, I think I'm all over it. I, I've purchased about 700,000 Canadian worth of stock kind of since the fall. And I bought some it was last week or the week before. So I truly believe in what we're doing and what we're building. And I can promise you anything moving forward. Uh, management founders will continue to be a big, big part of that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Alex, for coming on the show. I will put a link to Sierra Madre uh, in the description below, both the website and social media, so people can check it out. And really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing all your knowledge with the audience. Uh, Jesse, I really enjoy this. So anytime you want me on, uh, it doesn't have to be talking about Sierra Madre, but uh, any markets or anything like that, always happy to chat. Thank you again. Commodity Culture is a podcast that covers investing in commodities and natural resources. If you'd like to hear more, be sure to subscribe so you are always alerted of the latest episodes.